We've been going verse by verse through the book of Romans. We've landed in chapter number nine and a vitally, vitally important chapter because there is a break and Paul deals with some arguments concerning the nation of Israel. And I'd like to read together. We'll read verses number nine through 13, Romans chapter nine, verse number nine. The Bible says, for this is the word of promise. At this time will I come and Sarah shall have a son. And not only this, but when Rebecca also had conceived by one, even by our father Isaac, for the children being not yet born, neither having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of works, but of him that calleth. It was said unto her, the elder shall serve the younger, as it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. Heavenly Father, I do ask you to be with me as I proclaim your word. Help me to tell the truth, rightly dividing your word. You pray that we all get some help. You pray that your saints are edified through the proclamation of your holy word. Be with us. We're thankful that we can be here. We appreciate the freedoms that we have. Help us to not take it for granted. And help us to learn some good Bible truth to apply it to our lives in a reasonable way for your service in Jesus' name. Amen. In verse number nine, I had said a couple of sermons ago when we started Romans 9. The whole chapter is chock full of Old Testament scripture. And we're going to see a good bit of it this morning. This is why I'd ask you to get Genesis chapter number 18. And let's go there because this is the first quote that we see found in Romans chapter number 9. We saw in Romans 9, it says, Sarah shall have a son. That is a direct quote from the Old Testament. And I would like us to look at it in Genesis 18. Look at verse number 10. And he said, I will certainly, well, let's back up to verse number nine. And they said unto him, where is Sarah, thy wife? And he said, behold, in the tent. And he said, I will certainly return unto thee according to the time of life. And lo, Sarah, thy wife shall have a son. And Sarah heard it in the tent door, which was behind him. God, in Genesis chapter number 18, God is making a clear promise to Abraham. We find out Sarah laughs at this promise. Abraham receives it. Now we know that Abraham believed God. And it was, in, it was counted unto him to righteousness. And he believed God up until the point where he dis, devised his own plan with his Egyptian maid, Hagar. And they ended up having a child named Ishmael through man's plan. Okay, But nonetheless, when Abraham believed God, it was counted unto him for righteousness. God's promise to him didn't fail when Abraham came up with a better idea. Does that make sense? We trust God. We receive his imputed righteousness. We don't lose our promise of eternal life because we end up failing after we trusted Christ as our Savior. 
Because if that was the case, all of us would have lost our salvation because all of us, after we trusted Christ, did something sinful. So Christ's death on the cross, it paid for our past sins, our present sins, and our future sins. The sins that we can clearly identify now and the sins that we can't identify now, but in the future, God's word is going to reveal it to us. When that happens, we don't say, oh boy, I must have lost my salvation. I guess I better get saved again. No. When you believe God and trust in his son, he credits your account with his righteousness. Praise the Lord. So Sarah laughs at this promise. Isaac couldn't even believe the promise because Isaac wasn't even born yet. So what we have in Romans 9 is a quote from Genesis chapter number 18. And it is all about God keeping his promise that Isaac would be the promised child. He was, Isaac was the child of promise. And God kept that promise. And in Romans 9, we read, For this is the word of promise, at this time will I come. That's a quote right from Genesis 18. It's right there. If you look at it in verse 10, according to the time of life. It's God's timing. And it's God's power. Make sense? He says, at the time appointed, I will return unto thee. Verse number 10 in Genesis 18. According to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. And God does something absolutely miraculous. He takes, for, for all intents and purposes, Romans 4 tells us, Abraham given birth, he's as good as dead. He's way, way past any physical age that would allow him to do so. Romans 4 tells us about Sarah, her womb is as good as dead. It, it calls it the deadness of her womb. You know what God does? He takes a dead man and a dead womb. And he brings life into it. Now tell me that's not something to praise God. God kept his promise. And it had nothing to do with Abraham, well, messing up and having a little shindig with the maid. Love Abraham, wouldn't want to have him as my neighbor. <laughs> Right? You understand what he did. You understand how Sarah would have felt. God made Abraham a promise. Abraham said, well, I'm impatient. Let's do it another way. Think about that. That's, But God didn't renege his promise. He kept his promise. And he gave them a child. A child of promise. Now go back to Romans 9. Romans 9, verse number 10. It says, and not only this, but when Rebecca also had conceived by one, even by our father Isaac. 
the line goes Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's the promised seed line. It doesn't go Abraham, Ishmael, Esau. Both are natural physical descendants from Abraham, but both of those lines run two different ways. Romans verse 9 verse 10, that one ties in with our father Isaac, Israel's father. Who, who are the fathers? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's what that is. And that's the line to which the seed would be called. Look at verse number 11. For the children being not yet born. Okay, so nobody's born. There is no Jacob. There is no Esau at this point. Neither having done any good or evil. Well, if they weren't born, they didn't have a chance to do any good or evil. That the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of works, but of him that calleth. Nothing in this verse implies that God's choice was based on the character of Jacob over the character of Esau. Because it tells us it's not of works. They're not born yet. This is said in the womb. They haven't had an opportunity to do good nor evil. And when you really think about it, Jacob lived his life not really any better than Esau. He was a trickster. He was a supplanter. It's a reminder. The promise of Jacob is a reminder to the nation. You guys can't do anything good. I'm going to have to do it. I'm going to have to keep my promise. It's not based on the character of man. It is based on my good work. And what happens in Romans 9, Paul has to step in. And he has to defend the character of God before the nation of Israel, before Paul's people. Hebrews, Israelites. Someone could say this. Well, God chose Isaac over Ishmael because of dysfunctional parents. You had one dad and you had two moms. Sarah, the mom of the promised child, Isaac. And then Ishmael from Hagar, his Egyptian maid. The bond one. So someone could bring a charge against God or against that situation and say, well, yeah, of course God went with Abraham, Isaac, because that was his legitimate wife, Sarah. But that isn't the case with Jacob and Esau. You've got not only one daddy, but you've got one mama. That same situation isn't there. Not only that, you have them both in the womb at the same time. So it takes away that argument, well, I can see how it could be Isaac. Jacob and Esau had the same mother. Matter of fact, Esau was born first. We know that. 
and he's going to be subject to the younger. God makes makes a complete flip-flop on this. Okay, so why? Why is all this going on in Romans 9? That the, look at verse 11 with me. That the purpose of God according to election might stand not of works, but of him that calleth. The purpose for the twins was so God's election would stand. And the promise is limited through God's election of a seed. Abraham, Isaac, the seed, Jacob, the seed. There's a specific line that was called out that was elected by God for his purpose. He's the one that called it. It's not of works. Put all that aside. God's got a purpose. God has a promise. And God does the calling. Now, we need to park here because a Calvinist steps in and says, well, God elected Jacob before birth. And that his election is unconditional election. And they point to this chapter in this verse and say, well, this is God's eternal decree made before the foundation of the world. And that rabbit trail leads you theologically to believe, at least they want you to theologically believe, that it doesn't matter. God elected some to heaven and he elected some to hell. And Romans 9 would clearly show you that there isn't anything you can do about it because Jacob and Esau. I'm going to try to unpack this and give you the biblical doctrine of what all this is really about. Number one, it can't be an eternal decree. Well, why can't it be an eternal decree? It wasn't spoken until after you had two boys conceived in a womb. God didn't say it back before Genesis 1.1. It wasn't an eternal decree. It's happening in time. It wasn't stated in eternity. It's not an eternal decree. It's a prophecy. And we look to Old Testament prophecy to understand New Testament truth. And that's what's happened. And by the way, no election is unconditional. The Bible doesn't teach that. Election by God is always based upon something. In 1 Peter 1, you don't have to turn there, but it says elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. It's according to something. The election is according to God's foreknowledge. Now look at verse number 12 in Romans 9. And I'd like you to get Genesis 25. Romans 9, verse 12, and Genesis 25. Because here's our next Old Testament fulfilled prophecy. And this is going to be vitally important because this is... just you, you, You've got to get this. We, we have to get this. Here's the fulfilled prophecy. First, let's look at Romans 9. And then we are going to go to Genesis 25. Matter of fact, get 2 Samuel 8 as well. 
so we can go to these verses rather quickly. We'll need 2 Samuel 8, Genesis 25, and Romans 9. 2 Samuel 8. Okay. All right, let's start in Romans 9. It says in verse 12, watch what it says. It was said unto her, to Rebecca, the elder shall serve the younger. Okay, that's a fulfilled prophecy. When was that said? It wasn't said in eternity past. Go to Genesis 25. You'd have it right there, Genesis 25. Look at verse number 23. Genesis 5, verse 23. And the Lord said unto her, This is Rebekah, Two nations are in thy womb. You know what elect according to the foreknowledge of God is? The foreknowledge of God is there's going to be found, God knew, He foreknew, He knew. That there would be two nations in Rebecca's womb. Is that what we just read in Genesis 25? Now, you got to admit that's a pretty big womb. Now, I'm saying that sarcastically because obviously Rebecca didn't have two literal nations inside her womb. But what she did have inside her womb were two boys, two individuals. That would represent heads. They would be federal heads of two nations. So obviously Romans chapter 9 is not speaking. When you run the cross reference. It is not speaking of individual salvation. It is clearly national talk. It's a national election. Talking about a national seed. And we've got to get that. Let's continue to read in Genesis 25. And the Lord said unto her, Two nations are in thy womb. And watch this. Two manner of people shall be separated from thy bowels. And the one people shall be stronger than the other people. And the elder, that would be Esau, shall serve the younger that would be Jacob. It's typically flip-flop, isn't it? The younger serves the elder. But not in God's plan here. Now I asked you to get 2 Samuel 8. Because this not only has to do with national. It, it, it's not about individual salvation. It's about two nations. Watch how it starts to prophetically play out. In 2 Samuel chapter 8. I want to show you this verse. Verse number 14. Uh, let's start in verse 13. And David got him a name when he returned from smiting the Syrians. In the valley of Saul being 18,000 men. You know who David comes from? His seed line. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, 
You run that line, you get to David. You see that? That's the nation of Israel. Now let's keep reading in verse number 14. And he put garrisons, that's a troop of soldiers, in Edom. Throughout Edom put he garrisons, and all they of Edom became David's what? Servants. Do you know if you're on Esau? Do you know what nation you get to? The Edomites. You know what's being played out here? Genesis 25. There's a federal head of each nation. Nation. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, you can get to David. Esau, you know, Ishmael, Esau, you know what you're going to get to? Edomites. Esau, Edomites. Who's serving who? Just like Genesis 25 says. The older Esau, the Edomites, serving the younger Jacob. Run that line to David. It's a line of nations. It's a seed of people where nations are being developed. And before the twins were born, God said that the elder representative of two is representative of a nation shall, shall serve the younger representative of another nation. And God reverses the order that naturally you and I would think of. That purpose is according to God's foreknowledge and his election. That is what he has determined. And the purpose wasn't for an eternal decree of, of individual salvation. The purpose was for what we talked about, to show that the elder shall serve the younger. Jacob and Esau represent heads of nations and their place in or out of Jesus Christ. Matthew 1, you run from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob, and you're going to run 14 generations. In Matthew 1, you know who you're going to come to? God help us. Jesus Christ. You've got an elect nation that's going to have an elect seed, Jesus Christ. And all those that put their trust in him will become elect individuals. And those elect individuals are part of an elect church. Praise God. Praise God. And in the millennial kingdom, you know who's going to be the head of all nations? <laughs> the elder is going to serve the younger. Israel is. Jacob, the younger. That nation is going to be the head. Praise God. I'm telling you, this book is right. This book is big. This book is full of truth. You can't exhaust it. Not personal salvation dealing with a nation. Let's go back to Romans 9. Paul started this thought that we talked about last week in verse number 6 when he says, Romans 9, 6, not as though the word of God had taken none effect, for they are not all Israel, Israel, which are of Israel. And he's concluding that thought, not as though the word of God had taken none effect. And he's concluding it with um, the verse number 11, where he talks about that the purpose of God, according to election, might stand not of works, but of him that calleth. 
his word stands. Verse number six. How does it stand? It stands according to election. See, the Jews, they made this mistake that, well, because I'm of national descent, that automatically makes me an heir of something. Now, let me stop, park, and kind of rewind a little bit, bring some thoughts out to you. Paul has to deal with these Jews. Well, we're of Abraham, we're of Abraham, we're of Abraham. So he's like, all right, quit it with that, guys. And he, tell, and he, and he splits apart this natural descent. Because does Ishmael and um, Esau, can they run their natural descent back to Abraham? Yes. But we see there's two nations, two that run. Presbyterian Church, some other groups teach that you are, if you're, if you're saved as a parent, as, as two parents, then your children by default are elect because you're elect. And you're part of that seed. So why would they teach that? Why would they believe that? Because of wrongly dividing Romans 9. That's why. Because you have an elect seed. Abraham is a child. Isaac. Isaac has a child. Dave, okay. Jacob. But it's showing that that promised seed. Who's the promised seed? Jesus Christ is. He's coming out of that line. Out of that nation. See? Now why do we have to get there? Because we can't sit in church as saved parents or saved grandparents and say, well, my kids are saved because I'm in church. No, they're not. You can't claim salvation for someone else. You must personally trust Christ and own him as your Lord and Savior by repenting of what you've had your faith and trust in, turning from that and putting all of your faith and trust in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. You've got to do that. Well, I go to church every Sunday. Not going to do it for you. Well, I pray and fast and give alms and I help the poor. And I, great, keep doing it. A lot of people need it. That's not going to merit you righteousness in the day of judgment. You must say all of that is as filthy rags to a holy God. It doesn't matter what good work you do. It may impress me as a neighbor. You may want me as a neighbor. I may want you as a neighbor. I got news for you. God don't. He came to save sinners. And he wants to make you something that you can't make of yourself. And he'll give you his righteousness. If you would just trust him. Trust him. So God is showing his purpose within the natural birth lineage of Abraham. All right, let's go back to Romans 9, and we will need Malachi 1 and Hebrews 12, and then we'll finish. We're in, if, if you're Italian, some say the book of Malachi, but if you're a Hebrew or an Israelite, you would say Malachi. So you, however you say it, I guess it's just dialect. So book of Malachi, and then we need Romans and Hebrews 12. Hebrews 12. We'll finish our thoughts on these three chapters. Romans chapter 9, verse number 13. We'll start there, then we'll go to Malachi, then we'll go to Hebrews. 
Romans chapter 9, verse number 13, it says, As it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. This is about a rejected son, Esau. He's the son of Rebekah and Isaac, and he's the older brother of Jacob. You know where that's from? It's from our third Old Testament quote or prophecy that's found in Malachi. Just in these few verses in Romans 9, it's already a quote from Genesis 18, Genesis 25, and then Malachi chapter number 1. Watch what it says in Malachi 1. The burden, verse 1, Malachi 1, 1. The burden of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. I have loved you, saith the Lord. Yet ye say, wherein hast thou loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, saith the Lord? Yet I loved Jacob. And I hated Esau from the foundation of the world. Does it say that? You know why it doesn't say that? Because this was written 1,400 years after Jacob and Esau had already died. This wasn't an eternal decree. Genesis 25 was written in time. Malachi wasn't recorded until after these boys had been dead and gone. It's not an eternal decree. It's a prophecy coming to pass. Laid his mountains and his heritage waste for the dragons of the wilderness. Whereas Edom, that's the nation that comes from Esau, saith, we are impoverished, but we will return and build the desolate places. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, they shall build, but I will throw down, and they shall call them the border of wickedness, the people against whom the Lord hath indignation forever. And your eyes shall see, and ye shall say, the Lord will be magnified from the border of Israel. It's got nothing to do with individual salvation. It has everything to do with God's dealings with Edom and Israel. Both nations had problems, or both nations had problems. Both nations were brought into captivity. Both nations experienced a lot of things. But Israel, God's going to restore. Edom, God's going to destroy. That's where that's coming from, not individual salvation. Now, we talked about two manners of people, and so we'll finish here in Hebrews 12. We'll be done for this morning. Hebrews chapter number 12, verse number 16. Speaking of Esau, Hebrews 12, 16. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person as Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birth. It's just a picture of living for immediate gratification. Man, I'm hungry. I'll sell my birthright. For ye know, verse 17, how that afterward, when he would have inherited the blessing, he was rejected for he found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. You see anywhere in there, there's an eternal decree that he couldn't repent and he wouldn't search it. You see quite the opposite. He never repented. The verse is just teaching that reality. He just wouldn't repent. 
Esau never had interest in spiritual things. He always lived after the flesh. He always saw immediate gratification. And he never repented of his fornication, being profane, his rebellion. He never repented of any of it. He could have, but he didn't. Same with us. If you want to talk about individual salvation, if you're not saved this morning, you can repent. You are totally depraved, but God has given light to every man. All you have to do is realize your condition before a holy God, repent, turn from that, and trust that Christ will rescue you. Christ will save you. He could drop you into hell if he wouldn't, if he wanted to. But he doesn't. By his grace, he says, no, I'll save you. I'll save you. Uh, Hebrews 11, contrast that with Hebrews 11, verse 21. Watch what it says. By faith, Jacob, when he was a dying, see that? By faith, blessed both the sons of Joseph, Joseph and worship, leaning upon the top of his staff. Jacob, he's the one wrestled into submission. His name changed to Israel. He's the one. Let me get some help. He wrestles with the angel of the Lord. God throws his hip out of socket. You can't. Anybody here ever wrestle or do combatives? You can't wrestle without a hip. You can't wrestle without a good hip. I'm telling you, it's better to limp through life than leap into hell. Amen. Amen. I'm telling you, there's some lost people that need to be broken. You start living a life that you ought, you ought not live, you're going to be broken. God's going to break you before he makes you. I'm not telling anybody to go out and live in sin, but if you do, there's going to be some consequences. It's going to hurt you. It's going to leave some scars in your life. And you won't ever forget them or get rid of them. At this side of heaven, you won't. Now, God ain't going to hold it against you, but I'll tell you, there's some people down here that will. <laughs> Can I get a witness, amen? That's some of the old preachers say, yeah. I'm telling you, it's better to limp through life than to leap into hell. Jacob, by faith. By faith. And that's that seed. And the Lord Jesus Christ comes out of that seed. And God's election is based on his knowledge of what the character of those nations, Adam versus Israel, would be like. And it's the choice of God. It's him that called. God loved following Jacob's seed. Who did we say came out of Jacob's seed? For God so loved the world. That's what came out of that seed. That's the love that came out of that seed. Oh, that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believeth in him. That's what it is. It's a whosoever individual. Believe on him. You'll have eternal life. You'll have it. This love shows the reality of God's election. And the hate shows the reality of Esau's rejection. And God's promises belong to the chosen elect ones of that nation. So Romans 9, 10, and 11, where Paul's now arguing out this understanding of nation. 
what's going to happen with Israel? 